This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see everybody. Um, we'll begin our study of the of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. We're reading chapter twenty-five tonight, um, and we will begin in our time-honored tradition, which is prayer. Prayer, pray. Who would like to lead us in prayer as we gather around the, the Holy Bible in holy time? I'll do it. Father, we thank you for this time set aside to come before your word. Father, we pray that your spirit would move amongst us and teach us from within about the things that we need to know, the things that reflect your character and the things that will build us up together in your name. Amen. Amen. Um, now, before we do Acts 25, we normally read the notes from last year. Ah, oh, last year. Yeah. It's been so long since we've had a study. Yeah. The new calendar. That's right. Oh, my gosh, yes. That's right. Church calendar just started. Um, yeah, actually, that's true. It, what's interesting about getting into this, these last couple of chapters of Acts is... Um, Paul's variety of his trials and his various sea journeys as he heads towards Rome are not something that we draw a heck of a lot of doctrine from. Like, we, no one ever sort of quotes Acts 25, 26, 27 and, and suddenly builds. And this is the reason why we have this doctrine in the Holy Church, you know, for the last 2,000 years. Um, it's not really something that we dwell on, but they're there. It's in sacred history. It is uh, obviously deemed worthy to have entered the text, so it would be good for us to, to look. And I think some of our discussions have been proven very interesting. You know, we've, as we've delved into the text, we've, we've asked ourselves some pretty good tough questions, and we're going to have to do that again uh, tonight as uh, Paul stands before Festus and Agrippa. And uh, while we probably won't come away with any major doctrinal statement, but it's still a holy text that teaches us something. All right, so reading, if everybody wanted to have a look at and follow along. Uh, for those in podcast land, we're about to read the uh, notes from last week, Acts 24, where we started the scene in Caesarea. Paul is presented before his accusers under the auspices of the Roman governor Felix. Claudius Marcus Antonius Felix was a former slave who had risen in Roman society to take the role of procurator of Judea. He was known for cur cur cruelty and licentiousness with a penchant for bribes. He somehow had wooed Drusilla, the Jewess, the daughter of Herod Agrippa and former queen of Emesa as his second wife. How he had done this, we have no idea. Drusilla went on to become quite famous as one of the only two Jewish people to die in Vesuvius. Okay, the other one being Pliny the Elder. Uh, Ananias the high priest, whose name means grace of God and yet displays none of that quality, appears in person with a trial lawyer named Tertullus. The court scene before us is of Greco-Roman culture and tradition. Jewish law is very pacific with handling disputes in court. It demands truth and personal witness. Deuteronomy 19 and Leviticus 5 require personal witness and testimony. Accusations cannot be made through proxies or lawyers. Punishment is immediate, and there are no prisons in the Bible. Now, isn't that interesting? Once you've had your court, 
you enact the punishment then and there. Okay. Jewish sources, that is mainly from the Talmud, uh, always speak of the corrupt nature of Gentile courts and instructs people not to go to them for justice. As justice is the last thing you will actually get from a Gentile court. Jesus also instructs his followers to avoid courts, instead requesting that we deal with our issues internally and personally. Okay? Very much reflecting the uh, nature of Torah. That if we have to bring an accusation to each other, we do so. That our yes is yes, and our no is no, and we do so in person. And we settle our disputes with our brother face to face. Who's this Tertullus then? Why bring him to the, to the trial? Tertullus is probably Jewish in that Western texts of Acts, and uh, for those that might be new, there are various versions of the New Testament. Um, uh, the Western grouping of texts has a tendency to be a little bit bigger and have uh, extra material. We're actually reading Alexandrian Acts. That's the one that's in our Bible. Western texts of Acts suggest so. They suggest that Tertullus is Jewish because in, in, in Western texts he constantly will say things like against our traditions, against our law. That is reflecting that he himself is Jewish. And he is also working closely with the high priest, would also suggest him being of Jewish origin. Tertullus is familiar with Roman law, etiquette, and custom. We then discussed, because of this, the questions, how close do we get to the pervading culture, its traditions and systems? How ingrained can we get in business and education without succumbing to the secular world and surrendering our own Christian values? How are we in the world, but not of the world? I mean, that is a statement that actually offers no practical instruction as to how to actually do it. Okay? True? Right, the text says, be in the world, but not of the world. Okay, good. How? It does not tell you how. Okay? And uh, yet that is something we will have to figure out as a group and deal with. And we'll have to do that culture by culture, era by era, person by person. Okay. Um, that is something we have to work out every generation. Note, Paul has had a visit by the Lord. Remember, we have to rem remind ourselves that while Paul has been in prison, the Lord himself has visited him and told him that he will get to Rome. Now the trial begins. What do we think is going through the mind of Paul, knowing the future? How should he conduct himself during these proceedings? How should we conduct ourselves in this present age, knowing the future? Which is an interesting thought. Yes. Tertullus begins in classic Roman style with captatio benevolente, which is extreme flattery of the presiding judge, usually taking the forms of benevolum, attentum, docilum. <clears throat> Flatter them up, butter them up, make them attentive to your case, and then docile, <laughs> so that they'll just do what you want. Both the flattery and praise of Felix is untrue, as are the charges against Paul. Pretty much everything Tertullus says is completely untrue. Uh, we noted the difference in Paul's very brief, but absolutely true, opening verses, that rubbish, uh, uh, versus the rubbish that uh, Tertullus expounded in his opening statements. We noted the differences in Tertullus' designation of the Jesus movement as a Nazarene sect, whereas Paul called it the way. Later on, Agrippa is going to call it Christian. Uh, 
We discussed uh, current nomenclature of the Christian faith in its local messianic context with the conclusion that names really don't matter all that much once a certain level of maturity is reached. Despite the obvious lack of evidence against Paul, yet wanting Pax Romana over the tense province of Judea, Felix decides to hold Paul for two years confinement, apparently the maximum allowed for a Roman citizen. And we ended with a discussion on how Paul would feel about this vis-a-vis -vis his prophetic call from Jesus and the promise of Rome. And reflecting on our own promises and calls of the Lord versus the apparent timing of those calls. Remember, the, the Lord goes to see Paul and says that you will testify, me, testify for me in Rome, but completely negates, does not tell him uh, the timing of such an event, nor tell him about the, the, the subsequent shipwrecks and snake bites and near-death experiences that our hero is going to have. So many of us, especially in this land, have heard people say, I've been called from the Lord. And yet, the timing obviously seems to be immediate. <laughs> yet from sacred history, perhaps that might not necessarily be so. Once again, and how, how would Paul have felt? Two years imprisonment. Unable to leave Caesarea, yet he'd been told by Jesus himself in a dream, you will get to Rome. You'd be thinking, oh yeah, when's that going to happen? Did I, was I mad? Did I really, really hear from God? Now, is it, now I'm sure many of us have actually had that experience where waiting for the Lord has actually, instead of just been a waiting time, has instead prompted doubt that we had actually heard from God. Once again, despite the danger of execution, should Paul be found guilty of these false charges, we have no mention of the Holy Spirit doing anything. So we've had the Holy Spirit quite active in the prior parts of the book of Acts, but once we actually get to this stage, uh, we have no mention of the Holy Spirit. Also note that last time Paul was in prison with Silas, what happened? Got out. It's not happened this time. So sometimes you might have a miraculous escape and other times you might not. And um, perhaps that's also a good little piece of learning that we can learn from the pages of sacred history. Okay, so let's turn to uh, Acts 25 and we'll read. We've now had a, a changeover of governors. Felix has become Festus and uh, Paul still remains Paul. Okay, so... Uh, our tradition is we just go around the table reading one verse at a time. It does not matter the language or version of your text. All right, I'll start. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that... He summoned him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. <clears throat> but Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. Eight or ten days later he returned to Caesarea and on the following day Paul's father again. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come back from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him. 
but they do not prove them. Paul said in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended at all. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor unto Paul, for he wouldn't to go to Jerusalem and stand trial day in my presence before the Jewish and Hedron on these charges. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat, far off to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you should go. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left, a prisoner by Felix. About whom, when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me, desiring to have judgment against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took uh, my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When his accuser got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. But had certain questions against him of their own superstition and one of the, uh, and one of one and of one Jesus which was dead from whom Paul affirmed to be alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. <clears throat> and on the morrow, when Agrippa was come, and Bernice with great pomp, and was entered into the place of hearing with the chief captains and principal men of the city, that Festus commanded Paul was brought forth. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. In my opinion, he has done nothing worthy of death. However, he appealed his case to the emperor, and I decided to send him. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. All right. Okay. So, on an initial reading, is there anything there in terms of an overview that uh, you notice or don't notice or have noticed for the very first time? 
Or is there anything that stands out? Me, I never thought because when I read how Paul stands before kings, and look, I said, what I would be doing if I will stand before my president or somebody else. Mm -hmm. I never thought about this way, but it was very bold and speaking the truth, and I pray that I will be too if I will be stand. Mm -hmm. Because it's very, I never thought about that. that he would just stay before these kings and boldly talk, talking about Jesus. It's yeah. awesome. That's a lot of details there. There's a lot. Yeah. Of kind of yeah. what, you know, the procedural information, you know, yeah. who did what, and comings and goings. And yeah, and there's, there's got to be a reason for it, for in some of the previous chapters of Acts, it'll say something like, and Paul was there for two years. <laughs> and you go, wow, okay, and what else? <laughs> or, he went to Derby, and that's it. And you get no encounter with anybody, you have no idea what he talked, you don't know if he did a miracle. But here, I mean, there's incredible details to who says what, and, and, and what seems to be almost private conversations between kings are now somehow displayed before us. One yeah. thing I noticed is um, it's, it's like the next day they do something. They don't wait. You know, he goes to Jerusalem. It's immediately they have to talk about Paul. And yeah. then um, he goes uh, before the Jews. They finally go to Caesarea. It's the next day they meet. They don't wait around much. Mm -hmm. And when he tells Agrippa about Paul, it's the next day. That yeah. they have court. It's like they really move quickly. Yeah, it's like yeah, the, the the pace of the show is getting getting fast now. I think also that Luke wants to record the fact that unlike the previous guy, Felix, this guy got on with the job. Yeah. He really wanted to um, fulfill his duty. This is probably the first big case he had to handle, and mm -hmm. he was going to set a standard. It was different from his previous. This means Luke was there, yes, if he were yeah, yeah, yeah. We assume we assume he's Very he's much. either he's either was there, like as part of Paul's team, or uh, he's had access to this material from somehow. Because yeah. yeah. uh, remember, Paul is under um, it, when he's a prisoner, he's not confined to a cell per se. Uh, mm -hmm. Can't leave the premises, but he has access to his friends. In fact, in Roman custom, they actually have to support him. Right? The, the Romans aren't paying him, his, uh, giving him food. Uh, his community has to, which we are going to assume is the community of Caesarea, uh, which may include which hero? Acts chapter 10? Cornelius. Cornelius, okay, although not mentioned per se. Um, a community has arisen in Caesarea, thanks to Peter uh, and the Holy Spirit, um, although and, and we, we are going to assume that perhaps these people are the ones taking care of him for years, actually. All right, let's have a look. Verse 1. So the uh, changeover of uh, Felix, who was horrible and terrible, and he did everything, I think, pretty much to antagonize Jewish people and has left uh, the province of Judea in a complete mess. The, uh, the, the tensions between uh, Jews and Romans and Greeks is increasing. The Sicarii are out. They are killing everyone, including uh, fellow Jews who they thought are uh, 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 harboring uh, and, and allying themselves with uh, the Romans. So along comes this guy called Festus. We don't know anything much about him apart from his name, Porcius Festus. Uh, all we know is that Josephus Flavius writes 
that he was a good governor, that he actually did his best to try and uh, uh, ease the tension that was in the land. Uh, he did his best to do everything fairly and by the book. He wasn't mean, nasty or cruel. He didn't try and wait for bribes. He was actually a good Roman. Um, so, three days after arriving in the province, Festus goes up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Okay, so why would he do that? Any ideas? I mean, the seat of the Roman governorship is Caesarea. So, why do you think he shoots up to Jerusalem? Text doesn't say. Do you think... It's the one thing that stands out to me is that <clears throat> the Jews are making this accusation worthy of death. And the Romans don't know what to make of all of this. They don't see anything worthy of death in all this. So do you think maybe Festus wants to go and get educated about what this is all about? No clue. Okay. Maybe he's more like just going to introduce himself to the, uh, to the main people in Jerusalem, the high priest. And so, you know, I'm, I'm the number one man around right here. Makes a state visit. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, traditionally, the uh, the Roman governor would show up for all the high holidays uh, in force, because that's when yeah. You know, well, he would have to because that's when Jerusalem filled up with you know fifty, sixty thousand Jews, right? And so you would you would want to make sure that that number of Jews were were kept. Um, like uh, those of you who come from America, there's a few of you, yes. But it's probably true of other countries as well. Um, when you have large gatherings above a certain number, the police have to show up. Yes. Okay. So um, you go to a mega, you go to a mega church, yes, of where somebody's got five, six thousand people all worshiping. It's a church. They're worshiping God. Who's patrolling the grounds? Police. Police. Why are the police there? Because you've got five or six thousand Americans together, and you want to make sure that they don't go crazy and start having a mob mentality. Uh, it, they also really help direct traffic to a car and get out of the car park. Okay, uh, very handy. <laughs> but um, probably in Texas, and they're all armed to the teeth. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that that would be very. Yeah, police are probably really scared. <laughs> yeah. um, all right, so so he makes this what might be a very smart um, state visit that he does very quickly upon. Um, Appearing, so he appears in Jerusalem, and what do we find our uh, heroes doing in uh, the the church leader, temple leadership, church leadership, slip of the tongue there, uh, temple leadership doing in Jerusalem? Two years later, they have not forgotten Paul. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so the first thing they can do is, hi, good to see you. Got something to talk to you about. <laughs> uh, now let's have a look at this verse carefully. It says. Uh, so he's in Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. Okay. Now, what's not mentioned? What did you not? If you were, if you weren't, if you were hearing this, what did you not hear, which you heard last chapter? We don't know the name of the priest, high priest anymore. Oh, yes, yes, yes. We knew the name of him two years ago, but there's been a change. And uh, it's not Ananias anymore. It's somebody else. And for whatever reason, Luke doesn't even know who it is. <laughs> or there's been a little bit of a problem and they just don't even know who it is. Okay? 
um, because you were looking at a very corrupt temple system at the moment and perhaps it wasn't always clear who exactly is in charge up here. And sometimes the New Testament actually would record a whole bunch of names mm -hmm. uh, hoping that one of them might actually be the high priest. <laughs> okay. Like uh, when they captured Jesus, Caiaphas or Ananias, which one was it? Yeah. No one was 100% sure who was really in charge back then, so we'll just throw them both in there and let, let the reader figure it out. But here we don't, uh, the text doesn't say. Um, there, is, there are lists, and, and, uh, and Josephus does record the actual name of the high priest, um, whose name I have now forgotten. Do you happen, do you happen to know? I've got uh, Ananus, the son of Annas. Really confusing. But I think that's started in eighty sixty two we're talking here about. Yeah, don't know. Yeah, no. So we're not hundred percent sure who's running the temple at the moment, and it looks like Luke isn't either. Uh, but they've that they have not forgotten Paul. Okay, so they urgently requested Festus as a favour to them. Okay. To have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. I mean, that's still the old trick. Two years later, they're still going to try and yes. do the same thing. So, the leadership in Jerusalem has the opportunity to talk to Festus, the, the, the new governor. They would like Paul's blood. What's not being mentioned in this text? I know it's hard because you know when usually when we study the Bible, we only like to study what's actually there. <laughs> but in Jewish tradition, what's not there is actually just as important. Well, the guys who said they wouldn't eat until they had Paul's blood must be feeling jolly hungry. <laughs> yeah, they're right, yeah. Two years later, they're about stick thin. <laughs> yes, and probably feeling quite foolish. <laughs> yeah. No witnesses are there. Sure, they're yet, yes, right? We haven't got any witnesses. They didn't, couldn't pr produce any anyway the first time. Yeah. But um, describe Jerusalem. Okay. Um, first century. 10, 15 years after Jesus. There's a messianic community in Jerusalem. Oh, yeah. Is there not? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who's in charge? Peter. James, yeah, Peter's running around the country by the side of the world uh, doing wonderful stuff. Okay, and uh, but we're all gunning for Paul. Nothing's mentioned of James. Nothing's mentioned of any of the other apostles. No nothing's describing any form of a persecution uh, against the priests who have become believers or the community that's in Jerusalem. Nothing. The text is incredibly silent as to what happened. I mean, pretty much once we've done Acts 15, 16, we just stopped talking about Jerusalem. Now, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. I don't, can't tell you the reason why. I don't know. The Jerusalem church, rather than Paul's in Jerusalem in chapter 20. Correct. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah but the, the church doesn't get much. It doesn't get much of a mention. Mm. Okay. We know the ending of what actually happens to James. Does anyone know how James ends up dying? Um, okay. Yeah. No. Josephus tells us. Yes, Josephus records it for um, us. He was. Was uh, he executed? I think so. He was. He was no? thrown from the temple. Ah, and enough. and he hit. 
the floor mm -hmm. like those steps where you go to the southern steps you look up well they threw a human down from there mm -hmm. and when he landed he wasn't quite dead yes and so uh, the blacksmith came over and bashed his head open with a hammer mm -hmm. and that happened in the year 62 so three years after this so James is thriving mm -hmm. we assume probably writing his book maybe um, sending out emissaries and new believers, receiving reports of how Mark has brought the gospel to uh, Egypt and how their little brother Thomas refuses to go to India, you know, and all those kinds of wonderful stories. None of this is mentioned. Okay? So many times we get the people will say, the book of Acts, it talks about the early church. Mm, yes, a bit. But then it's actually talking about something else and actually leaves the history of of the church to, some, to, to other actual historians. Um, so there you go. It's just, we're in Jerusalem. We could, if we wanted to, mention the, the brothers. Or they could have said, Festus, it's great to see you. We've got this real problem with a bunch of really nasty Jewish people who are seditious and horrible and you've got to get rid of them. But the only one they want to get rid of is? For some reason. Something about Paul has ticked these guys off. And yet everybody else who's out there sharing the gospel does not get to, get, yet to receive the same treatment. Wouldn't Paul be like the biggest embarrassment to them? Would not priests in the temple? Yes, it's true, but I mean, Paul was going to be the Pharisee of Pharisees, so I wonder if that's what... I don't know. Yeah, he was hard to keep quiet. Yeah. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas other people would probably go for the easy life, or look for the opportunity to um, speak his mind. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and tell the truth. And tell yeah. the truth. Yeah. Plus, given his background of being a murderer, of you know maybe it makes him even that much more effective. No. Yeah. People, could be. People realize he was what he was. Now here he is saying what he's saying. Yeah. Well, no. there's a revelation of. Christ that is still unfolding throughout these decades. And these temple priests and people know very well that the, the truth of Christ that's coming out renders this temple entirely useless. So they were, from that point of view, they were waging an existential struggle. Unfortunately, it was a struggle against truth and uh, the Holy Spirit that Yep, and it could be that. Um those that were still tied to the temple, like all the priests and perhaps James and a few others, it wasn't the sort of message that they wanted to send. Potential? Not sure, but it's there for... for uh... I also think that um, in, in those years, the Messianic Church was like a community that was part of Jerusalem, but it was very peaceful. It was a, it was a community that was not really integrated. I mean, it was in the society, but remember that they sold their things and they gave, and, and they started to be a, a community that was all gathered, and I think that they didn't make as much trouble as Paul did. Because Paul would go exactly mm -hmm. to, the, to the synagogues and to, the, to, to those people, and they would stir their structures, while the Messianic community was just like another part of, you know, the, the society had many different groups at that time, and, and this, I, they, I don't think that they were as noisy 
We actually have no idea. You could be right, however, Acts does say there was persecution, even after all the selling. All the selling and the sharing of uh, things is Acts 2. And uh, in Acts 3 and 4, we get persecution and everybody runs, except for the apostles. Which was one of the things we noted when we discussed those versions, is why were the apostles left alone? Why were they not the ones persecuted? Because every time we went and got an apostle and threw him in prison, what happened? The angels came and let him back out again. So it became like, a, we can't, can't throw these guys in prison, there's no point. Um, so we'll, we'll get the other guys instead. Um, yeah, so we're not 100% sure. Um, the, uh, God has directed apostles to do things. So uh, Peter had, had had his vision and done uh, amazing things uh, uh, from, from other sacred texts, that is, texts in other people's Bibles. We, we understand that the apostles had gone out and, and shared uh, the gospel. So they weren't not sharing, they were. And, they, and that included to Gentiles. Remember, Paul isn't the first missionary to the Gentiles who actually founds the people in, in, in Antioch, unnamed people in Acts 11. It just says this, unnamed Jews from Cyprus started the church of Gentiles in Antioch. And then they bring Paul back then called Saul to shepherd them and he's like so he becomes a chief becomes a chief yes and he causes lots of issues yes but what are the other guys doing I'm not 100% sure it could be that they just integrated well but then persecutions break out and we're going to kill James eventually just not in our not in our text I think possibly one reason why you don't get the authorities against the church in Jerusalem is that we were read there were ten thousands of priests let alone ordinary people became members of the church and so if the Jewish leadership were to go against them, they would have a revolt on that. I mean, the, the, the church was favoured by the people, I suspect, because you know, they, their works of righteousness and their gifts to the poor would have made a difference. And I think there were so many that it was just not politically a wise move to go against the church. That's, I, I'm not saying that's the case, but it's could be. Um, yeah. yep. could be that way. Could be that way. It was actually the destruction of the temple that triggered the final separation between these two communities in which the Orthodox Jews finally um, put into their Sabbath prayer a curse against the believers that meant, meant that they could no longer continue to meet in the synagogue and, and pray in the synagogue. With them, um, yep. This is right after the temple destruction. Yeah. Of which, which, the 71 or the 35? 70. Because weren't, weren't Messianics uh, originally yeah, fighting was, like, before Bar Kokhba's Messiah? Okay. Gamaliel, all people. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, when faced with this uh, group of, of people, they say, please give us Paul. What does Festus answer? You know, they're bribing him. You could do us a favor. We could become good friends here. How does Festus answer? In, yeah, he answers as a good Roman. But mm -hmm. no, no I, that's not the correct way of doing things. Yep. Right? Uh, he is, uh, what does he say? Um, Paul is being held at Caesarea and I myself is going there. Let some of your leaders come, come with me and press charges against the man if he has done anything wrong. And then you get this very interesting little, little uh, sentence. After spending eight or ten days uh, with them, he went down to Caesarea and the next day he convened the court. Why would he spend this amount of time? Find out something. Maybe it is 
quite possibly his first visit to Jerusalem to be introduced to other people, to find his way around, to yep. make himself known to the Roman cohort there. Could be. Yeah. When if you heard the eight days or ten days, what would be the your first thought, Arie? Okay. I'm sure. Yeah, one of the Jewish holidays. How long is the Jewish holiday for? Eight days. Yeah, pick a holiday. Let's do it for eight days. Okay, and uh, just one of those funny things. Why is Holy Week eight days? <gasps> My gosh, it's a Jewish tradition. <laughs> okay, Sunday to Sunday. It's a it's a thing we like to pick up. When we have a holiday, we'll do it. We'll do eight days. It's possible that he actually showed up on a holiday. It doesn't say. It doesn't actually say. Normally, they would tell you he was there for Passover. He was there for. Um, but they're not mentioning, they're not, they're not talking about names, not even mentioning the actual day. But he tends to stay, it could be he was doing the go around and see how where everybody, everybody lives. Yeah, uh, how, how the soldiers are, uh, or he could be just actually um, doing something actually uh, Roman. Which is, uh, we're here for a festival, I'll stay the full time, keep an eye on you people. Um, anyway, he heads down to Caesarea and the next day he convenes the court. So true to his word. He's not, not wasting any time. He convenes the court and uh, order that Paul be brought before him. Okay, so in the previous chapter, what did the chief priests bring with them? A slime ball. A slime ball, yeah. Okay. Um, there was, they brought their lawyer with them. This time they don't bother. <laughs> okay. Uh, yet no, no, no turtleus. He, he obviously failed miserably last time, so why pay him? Okay. Uh, Paul appears, and the Jews, just a nameless group here. Chapter 24, we had named them all. But here, just drop the names. The Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul makes his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. What's the difference between this chapter and the previous chapter? We don't hear their charges specifically. Yep. We just hear them indirectly through his answer. Yep, there's, there's, for some, there's no need to resurrect the, the charges or anything like that for some reason. Um, Luke's decided not to do that. It's all over within a sentence. Uh, whereas in the previous chapter, we get the long uh, court antics and, and defense. So we don't really know what charges they're bringing per se, except that Festus is going to say, it's not really what I expected. And here, Paul defends himself by saying, I've done nothing wrong against what? The Torah, right? Uh, the temple, okay? And what's the other one? Caesar. Or Caesar. So somehow they've actually brought some other fresh stuff. Although Festus is going to say that's not really what they talked to me about. What they really talked to me about was some internal matter with the Jewish people. Um, so resurrection. Resurrection, yes. <laughs> so I think it's interesting. You know, it's maybe a three-day trip. And I would, see, you know, I would think they're tired. But boy, they can be in the next day, even though... That's got to be a pretty hard trip. I mean, drive three days in a plane, in a car, it's pretty hard. I don't guess they had those back then. Hmm. That's what leads me to wonder 
um, it's, I see this comparison between this and Herod with Jesus and the Jews mm -hmm. accusing Jesus, and that's what leads me to wonder what we're talking about now, this, um, the immediacy of everything, that maybe there is a tremendous amount of pressure from the Jews on him, uh, as there was to Herod, and yeah. that maybe to some extent he's like afraid of them and wants to Could really be. placate them. In, in the Roman Empire, what was the big thing the Romans just wanted? Pax Romana. They just wanted peace. Because if you have peace, what happens? You make money. And things just move. You can build stuff. You can make money. You can have endless debates. You know, But once you get wars and internal troubles, the money stops. And you've got to spend lots of money to <laughs> send soldiers over there. It all gets very horrible. Um, you never know who's right, who's wrong. So you just got to kill everybody. Uh, that's not helpful either because then no one's making any more money because they're all dead. Um, so they really just wanted pack, just do some, just bring peace. And they, the Romans rewarded anybody who could bring bring them peace, whether it was a general or whether it was a slave. Think about that. Some, they, they would appoint slaves to be leaders of provinces. I mean, who does that? <laughs> Felix. Yeah, Felix. Okay, yeah. They do it because of the of the allure and the promise that this guy will bring peace. He didn't, so they fired him. Okay. <laughs> Same with Pontius Pilate. They fired him too. Okay. Um, Festus, they don't fire. He actually just dies of natural causes. We're not 100 percent sure what happened. He, he died on the job. It's after two years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and isn't it interesting? You, you look at the way he upholds Roman law with the way the Jewish people fail. <laughs> at the, uh, the, the, the custodians of the temple fail at Jewish law. They're planning an extrajudicial killing, right? Which is not against, which is contrary to the law. They cannot produce witnesses, which is contrary to the law, right? Uh, they, they, whereas, so it's, it's uh, interesting that this pagan ends up looking like a good guy, and uh, the temple unfortunately does not. Okay. Um, so, Festus' response to this, uh, which appearing in, in 9. So, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favour. Now, why would he want to do such a thing? Pax Romana. Okay, it's like, you know, I've come to this incredible province, Felix is an idiot, and uh, we're on the verge of a rebellion. How do I placate and make sure it doesn't happen? Well, alright, maybe I do need to... Uh, do some deals. So, what does he do? He asks, Paul, are you actually willing to go to Jerusalem? Like, you can't force him. So, um, willing to go to, to Jerusalem and stand trial uh, before me there on these charges? There's absolutely no reason that he would have to take uh, Paul to, to Jerusalem. None whatsoever. His, work, his, his courtroom is Caesarea. Paul is a Roman citizen. There is absolutely no reason why you would hand a Roman citizen over to a, an, another, another person's court. Um, I imagine from that statement, though, that Festus didn't know about this plot. Right. Because otherwise he wouldn't have... I mean, so well, he wouldn't have done it. Luke has that information. Uh, even though he may have... Festus may have been told about the ones two years previously, the, the plot previously. Yep. But uh, maybe that hasn't been recorded. You know, he hasn't been provided with that. And so he's being a little bit naive, uh, inviting Paul to uh, travel to Jerusalem. Yeah, what do, you think, what do you think Festus is thinking? I mean, no witnesses have been brought. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Um, what do you think Paul's thinking? This is his second trial. Remember, he's had a vision from the Lord. I'm supposed to get to Rome. So what does he do? Uh, I, I want to go to Rome. Yeah. Right. Would you like to go to Jerusalem? Nope. No. <laughs> I'm going in the opposite direction. There was a guy called Jonah who did that. Didn't work out so well for him, but anyway. <laughs> so you know, what, what do you think Paul's thinking? And we don't know because it's not in the text. But what do you think? But using, using your, what you have at your advantage in the world for the purposes of, let's, you want to go to Rome? Let's, let's do it. He has it, he has it in his hand to do it. Because he's allowed to do this as a Roman citizen. Roman citizen. He's, he's allowed. He's to yeah. for advantage. Yeah. For good yeah. So how do we in uh, this world use our... The things that, that our culture has given us as assets, do you think? In either spreading the gospel or the work of the kingdom or any anybody got an example of how they've been able to use the law of the land to actually serve a higher law? Well not personally, but being here seeing the Jews who are messianic, that seems like a great example because People like who are non-Jewish, it's hard to stay here for very long unless you have a certain visa. And, but they have, they're using that to their advantage. They, they don't have to go anywhere and they can preach the gospel all day long. Yep, you can't kick them out. Mm -hmm. So they go to the army, they serve, they go get jobs, go to university. and uh, They form the Messianic Fellowships on universities. They you know, Bible studies in, in, in the army, you know, all kinds of things that, that occur. And you can't stop them. Yeah? That, Sometimes having a foreign passport is very handy. You know, you could smuggle Bibles into China. Could you not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so you could use, you could pretend to be a tourist. And that's something that I've done uh, into mainland China. Is you cross over from Hong Kong pretending to be a tourist, knowing that I'm not going to take a photo of any buildings or statues or gardens. I'm going to go and talk to the underground church. And so... Um, just, just using the the thing, the assets that you had, the law, uh, and 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 use it for a kingdom, kingdom purposes. And so Paul Paul answers using his um, ability as a Roman citizen. I don't want to go to Jerusalem. Plus, not only that, that was not where the vision told me to go. The vision says I'm going to go to to Rome. So he he now um, says, I appeal to Caesar. <coughs> Okay, even though he says, right, I haven't done anything wrong, as you yourself know very well. Right? So he could have actually stopped there. He could have said, no, I don't want to go to Jerusalem. I'd like you to judge my case, please. Based on all the witnesses, of which there are none, uh, please decide my case. I've actually been held for two years. Now is now the maximum. You must decide. He could have done that. And then Acts chapter 26 would probably look very different. Right? You know, he went to Cornelius' house and said, how do I get a ship to Rome, brother? You know, who knows? Um, but it, but it, it doesn't work out that way. Uh, instead, what he does is he appeals to Caesar. Now, does anyone know if Festus has to grant him that? Does anyone know? Yeah, it was, required. It was a privilege of Roman citizenship to be able to appeal to Festus. Correct. 
but does the pro does the procreator pro 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 does he actually have to do it? No. Uh, he can decide. Uh, you appeal. You know that you're insane. I know. I have enough information. I will judge it because otherwise you get Caesar would be flooded. Everybody will go to Caesar. Yeah. yeah. And so um, uh, it, and so the the text reflects that Festus does not have to. So what does he actually do? It says Festus confers with his council. So he doesn't make a decision then and there. He actually turns around to his advisors. And he's got up to probably 20, right? Mm -hmm. And he's got a minimum of three that are hanging around. And he's, but he's got quite, there's probably more people there. He's like, well, should I? Should I not? Should I, should I worry Caesar with such a frivolous thing? So there's this internal debate. It's not just him making a decision. And whoever these advisors are, They've obviously like persuade him. Uh, yep, yeah, I think this is one of the guys you should probably send on. But as the new procurator, he's taking, he's getting this off of his own hands and not getting involved with the Jews around him. Sure. Yeah. He's pushing it up to the next. We're pushing it off to the next level. Yeah. So his his own res only responsibility is that he has to make sure that his charge gets there, mm -hmm. and two, he has to make sure that he presents charges. Like he actually has to, he can't just show up. Uh, this guy says he wants to see your boss. No, he's got to, there's got to be some formal statement as, uh, Lord Caesar, this is the reason why that guy is in front of you. Right? And uh, so he's got, he's got one thing to do, which is going to be the reason why he starts out the next part of the, of the chapters there. It's like, I don't really know what's going on. So Festus confers with his council, and he declares, okay, you've appealed to Caesar, so away you go. What I find interesting is why Paul didn't make this move earlier on. Does he need a properly convened court in order to appeal to Caesar? And this wasn't happening with Felix hmm. in the previous two years. Or has he spotted that this guy, if you ask him, he's going to make an effort to do the right thing, therefore now is the time to put the request in, because it's going to, it might work, it might fly. Yeah. Because I, I suspect that he could achieve two things in one go by appealing to Caesar. Firstly, he could get away from these pesky <laughs> religious leaders who want to kill him. And secondly, he gets a free ride to Rome. Mm -hmm. These are two really big things in his life. Sure, sure. yes. I mean, he has had this promise. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems to. And I don't think the idea just occurred to him in, on this day, in this trial. He must have been thinking about it for two years, close on, and discussing it with Luke and other people, you know, and with the leaders of the community in Caesarea. But there must be some problem that meant that with Felix, he couldn't actually achieve this, or he didn't trust the guy in order to make the right decision that he wanted. Mm -hmm. if, if, if Felix had the ability to slap him down, Yep. And being not an honourable person. Yep. And because he was hanging out for a bribe. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he had actually had many a dialogue with Felix that uh, the, the text had recorded. Very sort of allusions to these, these dialogues. And perhaps because of Drusilla in particular. Who's the actual emperor at the time? Who's actually Nero. sitting? Nero. Nero. Okay. What do you know about him? Well, he started okay, but he didn't finish. He should, no, he didn't finish. <laughs> so, I mean, if you knew it was Nero, would you say, yes, I'd like to go get judged by Nero, please? Uh, but then, 
We're not quite at AD 64 yet. No, no, that's right. So we're, we're still actually, Nero has, is actually still not insane yet. Yeah. And uh, he still actually has some very good advisors actually at this time, including Stoics. And so, a Jewish wife, who actually persuaded him to invite the Jews back into Rome, who, who, who had been sent out by Claudius, the previous emperor. Yeah. So, yeah. because so, they're good for business. Uh, oh, yeah. As you, as you were saying. Oh, yes, yeah. so you've got to make money. Yeah. And right. also, he, uh, he probably wouldn't have seen Nero personally. It would have been a representative, and then it was Nero's decision, basically. I mean, it's not before him personally. Obviously. No clue. Yeah. 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 No, I, I have no clue how that, that whole form and function worked. Um, so, I mean, there is this interesting thing uh, that we have in the British Empire. Any members of the British Empire here? Um, what is our highest court of appeal? The Queen. Actually, it's the Queen. We actually still can appeal if we want to, all the way up to the Queen. In, uh, and where do we get that idea from? We get it from these Romans. <laughs> this sort of idea that, uh, you know, the Romans, they actually were there in Britain, yeah, and uh, they left a few bit their marks on the, on the society as well. Not just in Roman ruins, but in um, straight roads, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. <laughs> M25, man. No, they did the M25. Yes, that's my point, though. I think, um, from what I've read, nobody would go personally for the Queen to, you know, make a decision. But it would still be the decision of the Queen because her representatives would sure. make the decision. And that's yeah. what happened with Nero. Yeah. You couldn't take on the whole empire and listen to them. No, you would just be, you'd, you'd, the, yeah. yeah. He had representatives. You would be bogged so down in, in bureaucracy, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, yes. So, uh, uh, in verse uh, 13, a few days later, um, we're not quite sure what's actually happened to Paul at this stage. Um, King Agrippa and some lady called Bernice arrives at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Now, why would. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you like to enlighten us upon their relationship, um, perhaps? Uh, Was it really? Yes. So, um, King Agrippa is actually the grandson of Herod the Great. The guy who actually built Caesarea and uh, um, and did the baby killing and all the other and Herodian and all those other and and uh, Matsada and all the basically the things that and the temple things that still stand apart from the temple um, and so this is his grandson and uh, who 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 is a king um, and this is his sister his youngest sister Bernice and uh, King Agrippa never actually got married or had any kids. Um, Bernice did, she married several times and had several kids. Um, and then sort of uh, after the failure of the second marriage somehow ended up hanging around with her brother. A lot, everywhere really. Which led to this rumor, which was uh, expounded upon by Josephus, that there was an inappropriate relationships going on. Okay? Whether that's true or not, we don't know. However, um, it is interesting that our texts, again, note the historical accuracy that at this time, King Agrippa was hanging around with his sister and she went everywhere where, where he went. And so why is this king showing up to Caesarea? 
His kingdom's in the north. His kingdom is in his large sections of Lebanon, parts of northern northern Israel. That's that's the bit that he's been given. He's trying to influence the decision. Just, this person's just trying to influence. Well, when you just come down to meet them, you... I think that's more like This one's from the same height, you know. Yeah. I'm your neighbor. Yes, that's right. We have to work together. Yeah. Yeah. What? I think that it was a political move. Yep. Because he um, actually had to be gracious before the Romans that they had to have good relationships. So they would, like, pretend to be friends and, like, hi, I'm visiting you. Yeah. But it wasn't really a brotherhood thing. It was yeah. something that you know, just to make the, to ease everything that was going on in the land at the time, and to try to have like good. It was it was like a political relationship thing. Yeah. So Festus is Gentile. Agrippa is what nationality? Israel. Yeah, he's Jewish. He's Jewish. He's the great grandson of Herod. Yep, that's right. So this, is, this actually is a Jewish king. It was his father that the worms ate in Caesarea. That's right. <laughs> yes. He yes. was an enthusiastic Roman uh, patron. He wasn't there under any duress. He was Roman by any other name. Yeah. Jewish as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, it's debatable as to which Agrippa uh, gets the street named after him. I think Agrippa the first. Yeah. Could be. Because even though in this text, yeah, it's 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 the first who is very well spoken of in, yeah. the, in the Talmud. In the Talmud, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's the um, Bernice, uh, she's also Jewish, and uh, she actually, uh, during the re rebellion, when the rebellion breaks out, she does her best to actually defend the Jewish people from getting slaughtered and does her best to try and stop. Uh, massacres of Jews. So she ends up with a good reputation as well. Alright. So, uh, since they were spending many days there, so they're having the state visit and their entourage and everything, Festus has uh, the opportunity to discuss Paul's case uh, with the king. He says, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. And when I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked him that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has an opportunity to defend himself against those charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man be brought up. Uh, when his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. What might that have been? What would he have expected, perhaps? Maybe. Could have been. Yeah, Romans would have not liked that at all. Right? You know, like. Um, instead, they had only some points of dispute with their own superstitions. Okay, about a dead guy named Jesus, whom Paul says is alive. So, what does Festus not seem to know a lot about? Jesus. Or what happened two years previously. Doesn't know what happened two years previously, and he doesn't have a lot of knowledge about the Jesus movement. Yes. Right? He hasn't called it. He doesn't call it a, a sect of Nazarenes all the way or whatever. He he seems to have arrived at the province a little bit ignorant of this thing that's spreading now throughout uh, the Roman Empire. 
I think this is the most incredible thing in this chapter because you've got two Gentile or two two leaders, one's Jewish. One, but, yep. but anyway, it's interesting that they're discussing the resurrection of Jesus. They're unbelievers. And uh, this whole chapter, God's name isn't mentioned. But I, I just feel like that's what really puts you know, his DNA all over this chapter. It's like Esther. I think it's a stronger proof of, of God's working in this chapter by not mentioning his name because it's so obvious he's leading the way, the whole way. Yeah, and perhaps in that vein, perhaps this also explains why um, Paul is not freed miraculously when he has been previously. You know, we've, we've had Paul, sh he gets one night in prison and he's freed the, that very night. Right. You know, Paul's now been in prison for two years and nothing, right? Apart from that one, vi one vision sequence. Okay, one, one little visit of the Lord. This whole process is leveraging Paul right into the very heart of the entire Roman Empire. The Praetorian Guard in Rome, letters going out from Rome that have newfound authority to Philip. Philippi and Colossae and Ephesus and all of these places that he wrote. This became the pinnacle and the, the imprimatur God's stamp on his entire ministry, virtually to the entire civilized world at the time, as opposed to the preliminary journeys around Asia Minor and the Macedonia and Greece. He, he went international through this whole process. I'll carry the verse from chapter 9, which um, Ananias. Well, look, look, this is when um, Saul has his vision of Jesus on the Damascus Road and he goes into Damascus and the Lord speaks to Ananias and Ananias says, what, this guy? I thought you'd come here to kill everybody. <laughs> and the Lord says to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And it's interesting that Luke puts in there kings because he's writing that retrospectively. Um, you know, and he's seeing that actually Jesus revealed part of an aspect of Paul's uh, sort of calling that he would give witness to the highest people in the land. Yeah. Yeah. Including Jewish kings. Uh, Jewish kings and uh, indirectly to, to Nero. To Nero, yeah. It's, it's parallel to Jesus' ministry as well. Who went about through every little tiny village in Galilee and spread the word, and then all of a sudden at the end of his life, he was put on the biggest stage in the entire land and uh, set forth before very virtually the western <coughs> Mediterranean as well through the trial and execution of Jerusalem. And in both cases, both parties being accused of completely innocent. Yeah. Kind of almost is in that background reinforcing in people's minds the truthfulness of each one. Maybe after the fact when they meditate on it and Oh, they're both for instance, uh, and which to me makes all all that much more dangerous uh, in the eyes of the Jewish people because someone like that is extremely effective mm -hmm. and, and they're innocent. Yeah, in this two-year. Uh, uh prison time, I put that in inverted commas, so house arrest really, or whatever they want to have it. Um, he, I think he writes a fair bit of, of his material here, does he not? Uh, people tend to think it's more likely in house arrest in Rome. I don't know whether, it's, it's hard to tell. Though. It's hard to tell, yeah. Uh, but he, the company he talks about having, uh, you know, writing to people like um, uh, a Philemon you know, from prison, I suppose. 
and it's, the other two prison epistles are the uh, obvious prison epistles. Yeah. Definitive Colossians, I think, and then two Timothy's a later event. Later event, yeah, yeah, because his letter to Rome is before he actually has yeah. been to Rome. Yeah. So he's probably writing Rome somewhere in here. Probably he, Corinth. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. One, one thing too, okay, it's God. I, I don't care if he's mentioned or not. We we just know this is this is an accident. This this is too coincidental to be coincidental. Yeah, coincidence is not a kosher word. So. Yeah, it's this is God the whole way through, even though he's not mentioned. I think that's what makes it even more powerful. But uh, one thing I would say is this is so God-esque. He he doesn't work the way we think. He mm -hmm. never yep. It never works out the way we think. Yes. Yeah. And this is again, we would never have dreamed of this scenario. We wouldn't have, yeah. you know. That's again, pretty much been the same line we've said just about every chapter of Acts of from the, the start. It's like, well, we wouldn't have done it this way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, yeah. And, and, and mimicking that, what does Festus say in verse 20? I was at a loss how to investigate these matters. I've got no clue how to run around and look for a dead guy whom everyone is saying is alive. So I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. Uh, when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. So... Now, uh, uh, Agrippa gets uh, a reply. I would like to hear this man myself. Okay. Now, it's interesting here that, that in fact, when Festus is speaking to, uh, speaking to Agrippa here, he gives the impression that he was not really very keen to try this case himself for the reasons he gives, whereas that doesn't actually come out in the earlier reference to the... To possible trial verse 10. Right. And that, um, there's, a, there's a sense in which these Paul and Festus were, were always sort of trying to trying to weigh each other up and decide what are these what are these guys like? Mm -hmm. And uh, Festus evidently thought that he was treading on sensitive ground here, both in respect to what might get uncovered. It could be an awful can of worms that's starting to get uh, Get uncovered. So, in a sense, he was probably actually quite keen, even though he had the, the right and probably the direct authority to, to try him. Nevertheless, uh, to to send him off to Rome. So, when Paul actually gives a gives a, a, an inkling that uh, he'd be happy with that, he jumps at it. Mm -hmm. He does. Um, and so, why do you think Grippa says, "I'd like to hear this man myself"? Why do you think Agrippa does that? Jesus. He has heard about him. He's almost certainly a few of the stories of Jesus from his own uh, jurisdiction in uh, yep. Galilee and the world on Heights and uh, Syria. He's probably got some believers in his own territory. And uh, being Jewish, he probably knows a little bit about these, this idea of Messiah and, and stuff. Uh, and uh, also, Festus is asking for help in whatever little code that they're saying. And uh, Agrippa does owe his kingship to Rome. And he was placed there. 
and uh, and his and he governs actually very well according to Roman historical sources, and they actually increase the, his his kingdom several times. So they keep adding new territories and say, "Well, actually, you're doing really well. Wherever you seem to lay your hand, it, it seems to work. Uh, it, peace continues to thrive. Have some more. Have some more." So by the time he's he's come here, he's actually doing very well. Okay, he's um, almost achieved his height. Okay, so, sure, I'll help you out. I shall hear this man. And uh, tomorrow you shall. So again, very next day, fast pace. Not, not uh, losing time anymore. Agrippa and Bernice, the sister. What, what does she end up saying in this whole chapter? Absolutely nothing. But we're going to tell everybody that she's there anyway. Okay, We can't be bothered to name the priests uh, or anything else. But uh, we'll put her there for some reason. And uh, with great pomp, okay, uh, due to their station, I guess, uh, they enter the audience room with the high-ranking officers and leading men of the city. And Neil, you were there the other day, were you not? I was just going to say yes. that uh, maybe Paul wanted to stay over because it's a lot nicer than Jerusalem. <laughs> there you go, yeah. So uh, our brother was actually hanging around this area not, not too long ago. Uh, for those who've had a little chance to get to Caesarea and, and, and be there when this, uh, this event happened. Okay. So at the command of Festus, Paul is brought in. Okay. Now, also note that uh, when, when um, Festus is talking to Agrippa, he actually doesn't use the word Paul. He doesn't name this man okay, that he's been, been trying for whatever reason. Okay. It might be that a, that, uh, that a grouper has actually heard of him before, but we don't know. So Paul is brought in. Festus says, King Agrippa, and all who are present with us. You see this man? He okay. doesn't even still give his name. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. Okay. So um, this is new information. We haven't heard this before. Um, okay. So... Um, the, that uh, all of Jerusalem, well, most likely that's a bit of an exaggeration, uh, and uh, the Jews living in Caesarea were Greek speakers, largely, um, and didn't particularly uh, have any love for the Jews uh, hanging out in, in Jerusalem. I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he has made his appeal to the emperor, I've decided to send him to Rome. Okay? So he could have said, I have found nothing deserving of death, so I release him. He actually had that prerogative. Okay? But he has actually acquiesced to Paul's request to go to Rome, which is exactly actually where Paul wants to go. Right at the end of the day, Paul has had a vision that says, you will testify before me in Rome. So, bring it on. Okay. Um, so, what do you think Paul's thinking about at this stage? What would you be thinking? Here's my chance to get to Rome. Yeah. It's a bit, yeah, I mean, you're, you're in an audience room. There's kings, there's, you know, pageantry. And you're going, wow, this is all for me. That's not bad. Yeah, local boy does good, eh? <laughs> so, you know, um, it's not, not bad from the farm where I used to come from. You know, 
Um, we, have, we have no idea what's what's going through yeah. through Paul's mind or, or how he's. In his mind that am I going to survive this? Could be. He could be no, saying. He, because Jesus said you will. You will go stand before in Rome. It's a bit like when Jesus said to Peter. When you're old, someone else will bind you and take you where you don't want to go. So when Peter was thrown into prison in, in Jerusalem, just a short time after the resurrection, Peter knew this is going said, he's not going to die here. He's going to die as an old man somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and he just walked out of prison. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He was quite relaxed about the whole affair, don't you think? Yeah. 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 It took a lot to wait him up on that case, didn't it? Yes. So here's, here's Festus's conundrum out of this entire chapter. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about. Yep. Okay, I mean, guys, you're going to have to help. He's got this, you know, whole court scene. What, what do I write? You know, I'm going to send this guy to the, to, to the emperor and I can't, i got to say something. Well, he's got a whole list of shouty opinions. We've got some shouty, yeah. not some cogent arguments, not a, not a clear... Because if he had sent just shouty opinions, the response would be, "Why did you send this guy to me? You could have decided this. You're an right. idiot. You're an idiot. You know, like um, a black mark against your name." <laughs> um, Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa. Okay, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. And that actually is uh, Roman law. Okay. So... I just mentioned that the, um, we have here the statement that um, Festus declares Paul innocent. I, I found this man um, not deserving death. And what is interesting is Luke, both in his Gospel and in Acts, three times he records Firstly, obviously, the, the pilot says that Jesus is innocent three times, and you get three times in Acts where Paul is declared as innocent. Mm -hmm. And Luke clearly records these, these two cases. Yep, and the Romans look good. Yeah, and they do. Yeah. Yep, the Romans look like the good guys. They are the ones following the rules, upholding their laws. Um, and uh, which is an interesting way to present. Or generally, I mean, right. Felix was a. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The, the, that veiled flattery was probably anyone reading it would go like, "Oh, for crying out loud!" Yeah, but, yeah nothing like that. Okay. So, so here is a little piece of sacred history, which, again, does not mention the Holy Spirit or any divine um, visitation or any dream, um, and yet, as our brother noted, the hand of God seems to be all over it. Um, how is this going to help? today while we're not creating any doctrines per se but what are your takeaways what are your uh, is there something encouraging that you can draw from this piece of sacred history if so what is it anyone want to share I mean I can but I've been talking a bit but just in my own little corner things uh, things happen think God's word is true Sometimes nothing turns out the way you thought, but God's word will come true. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been through this part of my testimony here. I had a whole career life that turned out so different, and yet when I wanted to go off 
in my own and make it happen sooner. The Lord gave me a very, very, uh, what's the word? Poignant. I want to say a vision in a vision sense, but a mind picture. Is, can, I, can I start my career now? Yeah. And I felt like the Lord said you can. Yeah, I get the, the timing but, issue here. Is that next, within two minutes, I had a picture of myself on the edge of a cliff getting ready to jump off. And I thought, maybe I should not do this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for those who really want it to follow the way, that's, this is part of it. Mm. Yeah, the the timing issue is is when I when I read these these chapters, I think, yeah. boy, you know, if I'd had a vision of Jesus, who then promptly didn't tell me the timing, um, and then the time just keeps marching on, you know, um, but that happens with us here. I'm not always sure. I'd like to start programs. I'd like to do sure. things. I'd like to, you know, get things started, but perhaps that my timing is not God's timing. No. But it eventually does happen. It does. Right? But not so, when we thought. Just not when we thought. I tell young people, any major transition in my own life has always been over the course of years with a lot of prayer. Never overnight. Right. I'm going through a big one right now. And okay. so it is what it is. So out of the last couple of chapters where we have had no mention of the Holy Spirit, what do you think of what do you think our hero has been doing? No, I mean the, the Holy Spirit. What do you think he's been doing? I think he's pretty heroic. Just so you know. I mean, yeah, the, the text doesn't say, right? So anything that we say is going to obviously speak from silence. But how many, how many books of the Bible were written while Paul was in prison at no clue. We don't, it doesn't say. We don't, know. We, don't, we don't know. There are four epistles which are referred to as prison epistles. The yeah. prison epistles? Yeah. Well, I mean, if it was written during that time, that's what the Holy Spirit would have been doing. Is, yeah. is, is right. It could have been these two years, but possibly more likely the subsequent two years in, in house arrest in Rome. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, Rome. Yeah. We're not sure. Like, it doesn't, the text doesn't say, and now we're writing a letter to right. the Just, yeah. yeah. Just an idea. Yeah. We do know that he has to write Romans before he gets to Rome. Though, yes. So right. we're, not, we're not sure when that happens either. Well, Luke is collecting a lot of information yeah. these years. And he's been now in the area for a while and being able to talk to eyewitnesses yeah. and put together some material through right. the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Brushing well, up on his Hebrew. Yeah. And, and it's, for me, it's always interesting that um, other sections of the church, large sections of the history of the church, the Messianic movement, just not mentioned. It's just not there. Um, could have been, but um, like, uh, where where are the apostles? Why? How come they can't, haven't come down to to stand and, and be with Paul? The um, mission trips. There you go. They're all they're all busy. Yeah. Um, where's Cornelius? Where's you know where? Uh, we, we, there, there is none. None of these. Um, where are the other heroes? Um, Paul has family, does he not, in Jerusalem? Yes, he does, because um, they were mentioned. Well, not by name, but uh, they they only appear just briefly and then wander off. You know. Um. They they could have visited him. I would think that a lot of the church leaders would have come during this time and visited him. They, they were free to do so, so yeah. I think they could have. 
uh, these trials, I don't think they really had an opportunity because you know it's like the next day they get into town, and, sure. and this this one's the next day. Well, I doubt if his friends had much opportunity to jump in there unless it was Cornelius. Right. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, Festus could be could you know you could order, imagine one of those discussions as they're all leaving the the, the room and. This centurion doesn't leave. He says, and what's your problem, centurion? Well, you know, I actually agree with that guy. Oh, you're one of these followers of this Jesus dude? Mm -hmm. How many of those are in my army now? Like, <laughs> yeah. we, have, we have no clue what, what, what happened. I'm just thinking about the big picture. Um, I've mentioned this before in these studies, but I, from, from my point of view, the explanation that best fits the facts for the writing of the book of Acts is that Luke writes it, wrote it to Theophilus, and Theophilus was going to act as Paul's defense counsel in Rome. And so he's giving him, uh, I mean, anyone who wants to try and give a reason for why Luke is putting a lot of effort into writing both his gospel and Acts, about a quarter of the volume of the New Testament, um, has to have a reasonable, a coherent way of coming up with why it was written. Um, and I think this is the best explanation that um, you know, Paul and Luke between them, and, and with some help from others, no doubt, cooked up this idea that, that he was going to stand trial in Rome. But he needed the best shot, and maybe, and the evidence is that Luke knew um, Theophilus from Antioch, uh, and he's, he's obviously writes the, the gospel to him for his benefit. But the things that are included in Acts, and the way it's structured, firstly, the way it ends, it doesn't end telling you the result of the trial. And in this last quarter of Acts, we have a lot of details about the conduct of all the preliminary trials, which is important for the defense counsel to know. He wants verbatim records of what was said, what the accusations were, and how Paul conducted himself as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. That's why also we have an extended story of how he conducted himself on the sea journey and in the shipwreck and on Malta, and all, all these details because it shows that he is an exemplary prisoner. And this is what the kind of information, this kind of detail is, is important to a defense counsel. It's not really necessarily important when I was a teenager trying to learn the history of the church. I think, it's, I, you know, slow down in the last quarter about, do I need to know about this? Do you know what I mean? So it's, I think, taking that, I, mean, I can't prove this idea, but, and it's not my idea, I quote it from David Forson. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, that's where I first read it, but I don't think it's his idea. But no, it's an old idea. <laughs> but I think it's the one that pulls together by far the most big, big factors about the characteristic of Acts. For example, that we mentioned before, that it hones in on Paul almost to the exclusion of everybody else from, for the last two thirds. And everything else before that, as soon as Paul starts to make an appearance, Everything is connected with Paul, whether it's Saul's execution, his stoning, Paul is there, and whether it's and and the reason why we have a story of Peter going to Caesarea is that so it can be clear that actually the gospel to the Gentiles wasn't started by Paul; it was started by Peter. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And perhaps also. Uh, the reason why the Holy Spirit starts to disappear from these court scenes and things is 
you really don't want to start talking to Romans about this stuff, you know, in, uh, hey, Nero, there was this guy called the Holy Spirit, so you better be careful. <laughs> anyway, that's, that's, Who knows? that's worth considering. And, um, yeah. Cool. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, wrestling through another piece of sacred history, which is not usually used as a, as a form of doctrine, but I think there's a lot there. I think... Um, and we continue on because now Agrippa gets to have a go. Okay, he gets to hear Paul speak. And remember, this is now a Jewish guy, okay, who is not ignorant, unlike Festus, about uh, about this Jesus movement. Okay, so Acts twenty six is next week. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.